Hello everyone, I'm Paris Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox, hosted by Richard Lummis. Hello and welcome to another episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast about leadership. This is Richard Lummis, I'm here with Tom Fox again for another discussion on how to improve our leadership skills by learning from others, drawing lessons from a lot of different sources, including history in today's case. Welcome back, Tom. Thank you, Richard. As Monty Python used to say, now for something completely different. We're going to talk about Toussaint Louverture, the leader of the only successful slave revolt in history. Our discussion is based in part on a recent biography, Toussaint Louverture, by Philip Girard. The previous authoritative biography, Black Jacobins, by C.L.R. James, was written in 1938. Uh, It's a very different book. It's far more passionate and I'd recommend it to anybody interested in the subject, but I think it's been somewhat overtaken by archival research uh, in the interim. Tom, what's your opinion on Louverture's place in history and are the lessons from his time applicable today? So, Richard, it's uh, a fascinating uh, character in history. It was a fascinating project for us to try to come up with some lessons learned from the business perspective. I was attracted to Toussaint Louverture in college and wrote uh, research and wrote extensively about him, uh, initially um, based upon the Black Jacobin book and uh, based upon his leading the only successful slave revolt. Uh, but the, with uh, additional uh, information that's now available in the Girard book and further study, uh, you would have to say that uh, his tactics uh, circa 2017 would, would seem a bit questionable, but at the time, uh, that was probably a st- uh, fairly standard. Um, he led a horrific, and I mean horrific, uh, revolt in um, uh, Haiti. And the um, uh, slaughter, uh, slaughter of life, the slaughter of people, uh, the loss of troops due to disease uh, was catastrophic. It was catastrophic for the island. It was catastrophic for the French settler plantation class. It was catastrophic for uh, French army who went to fight uh, uh, the war, and it was catastrophic uh, for the history uh, and the growth of the island going forward. So um, uh, none of those can be discounted. Nevertheless, uh, he was able to create a system that uh, allowed the country to successfully defeat France. Uh, I've always been intrigued about the tie between whether this French experience was one of the reasons that led to the Louisiana Purchase, because uh, it drained Napoleon of money, made him, I think, aware that he was not going to be able to have a New World Empire without significant cost, and he decided to cut his losses, uh, make uh, uh, the best deal he could, and uh, move forward for uh, his other goals on the European continent. So um, a lot, a lot there. Um, you have uh, really looked at this, I think, uh, from a business lesson learned perspective and put together some, I think, some very interesting uh, insights around uh, L'Overture. And he, it's not, I think it, it's uh, fairly well certain he was born as a slave. He may have later been uh, freed. Uh, the commentary, I think, can go either way on that, as with many things, we really don't know his background. But uh, he had a goal, and he knew what his goal was. And um, his tactics changed, but his goal for a free um, country was uh, uh, throughout. So he he knew what his goals were, and he played a very long game. 
in a prior podcast, we talked about Thomas Jefferson and his uh, fight against the Barbary pirates, which I was quite surprised to find was really uh, at least a 15-year process for him. Well, Overture didn't, li- didn't live long enough to have 15 years of re- worth of revolt in him. Nevertheless, he did play a long game. He uh, switched allies. He betrayed uh, friends when necessary. He uh, worked to free blacks. Um, then... Um, he uh, slaughtered white planters. He allowed the slaughter of white planters uh, and then would turn on those who slaughtered the white planters. Uh, so he played a, a very, very long game indeed. Well, I think the uh, you mentioned the know your goals, and I think that was one of the points of the Girard book is that uh, a lot of the literature about L'Overture paints him as a saint who's consumed by the moral wrong of slavery and uh, the desire for abolition or the hatred of colonialism, neither of which is true, both of which, uh, uh, I guess, presume a modern sensibility. Uh, One of the archival discoveries Gerard talks about is the fact that Louverture himself, on at least two occasions, owned slaves. Um, So his his position becomes very ambiguous. Um, I guess my reading of Gerard is that his goals were not abolition or even independence what he really sought was self-determination and personal respect um, especially for himself but also for blacks in general Uh, i think it's important to note that he never actually declared independence from france correct Um, and in addition to defeating france militarily he had previously defeated the british and the spanish so um in fact as i recall he he, uh, i think he considered himself and publicly announced himself a French citizen. Yes, indeed. Uh, up until the time of his death in France. Imprisoned by Napoleon in France, <laughs> in having having been basically tricked, yes. So uh, uh, a couple other points you raised I thought were very interesting. Uh, one we really haven't touched on uh, in our leadership uh, discussion, although we did touch upon it in a podcast about corporate boards, which is information control. And um, to the extent that there was information control in Santo Domingo uh, at this time, um, uh, Louverture made use of what tools were available to him. He knew what his audience was. He knew what they wanted to hear, uh, and he gave that to them. So to the extent that uh, public relations existed in Santo Domingo in uh, eight, 1795 to 1800, he certainly seemed to be a master of that at that time. Well, the other thing was, um, immediately after the French Revolution, he sent three representatives to the uh, National Assembly basically to present his side favorably and the other side that is in this case, well, there were multiple other sides, of course, uh, but in this case, mainly the planters uh, were were the opposition at that point. Um, But to present them unfavorably and to present his side in a favorable light, and I thought that was very far-sighted of him. Um, He definitely used press censorship um, when he, once he was in uh, control, I don't. I'm not sure how that's relevant to today's corporate <laughs> environment. <laughs> but anyway, it was. Um, and and his tailoring his message to his audience was something that I think we all do, at least subconsciously. But I think he he took it to an extreme. Um, but it's it's possibly a good lesson for us. So you bring up a really interesting point, uh, which uh, you have expressed as setting the agenda. And if you as a business leader uh, can set the agenda or even influence the agenda within your organization, I think that can be a, uh, a positive and powerful tool 
for util utilize going forward. Um, the uh, um, ability, many people don't fully appreciate the ability or the position of a corporate secretary. A corporate secretary actually sets the agenda for board meetings. Hmm. And uh, so the times I've been high enough up in a corporation, I became very good friends with the corporate secretary. I went down and had a cup of coffee in his or her office as often as I thought I could for the time when I needed to get on the agenda, for the time I needed some more time uh, on a board agenda. So uh, find out where those levels of influence and power uh, are within your organization. It may uh, I phrase this as we're creatures of our upbringing, but what I really mean by that is you need to be careful in your assumption that others share your goals. Um, in this case, you know, Loverture really wanted to maintain the plantation system, which was always going to conflict with the freedom of the slaves, because the work is awful. Um, and nobody's going to want to do it. Um, so he may well have, and again, the, as with most things about him, the, uh, the information is somewhat ambiguous, but he may have basically wanted to recreate the plantation system, except with blacks at the head. Uh, yeah, and that's a great point, um, because as a historian, you, you have to look through the lens of history, and you have to be able to interpret the events that happened in 1790, 1795, 1800, uh, and not uh, put your ire, my 2017 bias around it and understand where it was going. And I guess that really brings me to the point that uh, um, initially attracted me to Louverture, that if you see him as a point in a continuum, in a line of movement, and uh, was he the saintly uh, person who was going to free the slaves and create an Edenic island colony? The answer is no. Uh, did he use horrible tactics from time to time? The answer is yes. But did he move the um, the values of Santa Domingo, Santa Domingue, uh, such that at some point in the future, those things could be achieved, meaning uh, freedom for all persons, the uh, uh, non-enslavement and independence of the island. And I guess when I studied him initially in college, that that's what struck me was not to view him as the saint, not to view him as the uh, the black Jacobin, but to view him as one person who moved the ball forward a little bit, uh, perhaps a lot, and it, but it set up the stage where further uh, achievements and advances could be made. And in, as a business leader, uh, whether you call that taking the long-term view or whether you call that positioning yourself so that you can take advantage of opportunities which arise, I think that's an important uh, skill. They say in football, Luck is uh, the uh, when preparation and opportunity arises, and that's when you get lucky. Well, the same can be said in business. Preparation and opportunity can uh, give you an opportunity to advance your corporation in a multitude of ways if you're ready um, and ready to seize that opportunity and prepare to do so. I guess the other point uh, to, to add to yours slightly is the sheer pragmatism of his approach. <laughs> I would not have used that word, but thank you, Mr. Historian. He knew how far he could get at any individual moment, and I think he, he, knew, um, he knew his limitations. Um, for instance, when he was fighting the French, he took a very um, indirect approach and basically waited for yellow fever to kill him. Uh, that's true, and... Um, that really, uh, yes, uh, and the yellow fever probably, I think, I recall, decimated more casualties 
than were actual uh, battlefield casualties. The other thing that you pointed out I thought was really interesting was don't forget the small gestures because um, Napoleon engaged in actions which uh, colloquially might be expressed as dissing uh, L'Overture and he disrespected him. Conversely, I thought uh, L'Overture engaged in a couple of actions. You mentioned one which was actually sending the representatives uh, to be a part of the National Assembly. And I saw that as really a uh, indicia of a small gesture of respect to the new Jacobin gover- <coughs> government in 1794, which led to the abolition of slavery at that time by that French government. But also he attempted to communicate with uh, Napoleon after uh, Napoleon disrespected him uh, as well. So the small gestures matter. Uh, in the uh, One of the great secrets of George H.W. Bush was handwritten notes. And uh, he would send them to uh, contributors. He would send those people who were his advisors. He would send the the people who gave him counsel and the people who helped him. So uh, a small gesture can go a long way, even in the business world. Yeah, and I think the dissing and respect are something we always need to keep in mind because some people it's extraordinarily important. To others, it's of less importance but I don't think it's utterly negligible to any of us. So Richard, I guess um, maybe your last point I found the, the most intriguing. I'm not sure we can tie this into a business context, but let's give it a shot, shot which is treatment by history. And I really like the way you phrase it with Louverture, we see what we want to see. Yeah. And uh, everyone does that, whether he's the black Jacobin, the black George Washington, um, whether he was the um, Black Panther who slaughtered the whites, uh, whether he is Spartacus, uh, he was a former slave who became a slaveholder. Uh, as you point out, the uh, person who wrote the Declaration of Independence was a slaveholder. Um, the person who was the first uh, president of the Republic of Texas was a slaveholder. Uh, so uh, we see in those people what we want to see, and we, I, my fear is we fail to understand the prism of what they were looking through at that time. As for the business leader today, um, my uh, response would be, or my counsel would be, to have trusted advisors around you so that if you make a decision, you can essentially have uh, people to talk to and and ask and bounce ideas off of. Yeah, and to me, what it represented, um, there was a fascinating instance um, where Frederick Douglass made two speeches on the same day. And on one, he referred to L'Overture as a George Washington character who treated planters humanely and left behind a functioning state. You can guess that audience was white. Later that afternoon, he made a speech to a black audience where he emphasized his military prowess and uh, placed him in the role of Spartacus, as, as you referred to. Um, so it's not just L'Overture who, who will shape his, his message to his audience. But one of the things I think you need to be aware of, or we all need to be aware of, is that our preferences can become a bias. Um, If we want to see L'Overture as a proto-anti-colonialist, then we're going to look at the evidence in a way that shades it that way. And it's certainly human nature, but it's just something to be aware of. Well, Richard, this this one has been a lot of fun. It was really a lot of fun researching it, relearning, revisiting things that I'd uh, studied long ago with a a 21st century spin. So, uh, Thanks for suggesting this one. All right. Until next time, 12 o'clock high. This is Paris Fox again. We hope you enjoyed this episode of 12 o'clock high, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox. 
If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and rate the podcast. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.